Good morning. I want to thank you for inviting us into your living room or your hospital room or wherever it is that you're watching or listening to us today. I don't think any of us ever thought that we'd be in this situation, but here we are. But I can tell you this, God was not surprised. God knew exactly what would happen. And he has been bringing hope and healing into the lives of the human race since the very beginning of time. From the very moment that humanity began to rebel against God, God was making a way to restore our relationship with him. And we have hope. We're in the season of Lent right now, a time of, of prayer, of reflection, of uh, intense uh, disciplines, trying to take uh, a sense of our lives with each other and with God. <laughs> I didn't think any of us would ever be in this kind of uh, intense reflection. Uh, we have nothing but time to reflect. And yet, in the midst of this, we are also remembering we're on our way to Easter. We're on our way to Resurrection Sunday. Just like we're on our way to finally being victorious over this virus. We have the hope that someday God's kingdom of perfect peace, perfect justice, perfect wholeness, perfect health will be here, and it will be forever and ever. So I want to encourage you, and I want to thank you for joining with us today. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn to John chapter 9. We've been in this series uh, through Lent looking at moments in which Jesus broke expectations in people's lives. And today, we continue in that series, and we are looking at a really long chapter. It's 41 verses. And so what I want to do is something a little bit different right now. If you are not familiar with the story of Jesus and the blind man, uh, pause this video right now and go read John chapter 9, all of it. Uh, if you want, you can look on your Bible app, if you're following along with us there, and uh, you can uh, find a link to that, any version that you want, just so that you're familiar with the story. If you don't want to do that and you want to keep listening, that's fine. I'm going to be doing a little, uh, something a little bit different today. Uh, instead of reading it all, I'm going to just sort of summarize it as we go, pulling out uh, specific verses. So if you found John chapter 9, uh, beginning in verse 1, so what we have here is, is we have Jesus, and he's walking along with his disciples. And his disciples see this man who was born blind. And they ask him a question. They say uh, in verse 2, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, in the time of Christ, uh, and probably with some folks even today, the understanding of why bad things happened, or why there was things like uh, uh, blindness, or being lame, or plague, or pestilence, or viruses, was because of sin. The ancients believed that it was either the sin of the individual, or it could have been the sin of the parents, or in some cases it could even be the sin of the nation, and that when things were done that were not pleasing to the gods, or to the one true God with regard to the Jewish people, certain bad things would happen. As a matter of fact, this was such a poignant part of the culture in that day that uh, they would even shun people who were dealing with sickness or disease or, or things like blindness or being lame 
because they believed that those folks obviously had done something wrong, they had something coming to them, and for them to show any compassion to people like that could actually get in the way of God's punishing them or chastening them. And so unlike today in our own culture, hopefully in most areas, there wasn't a sense of of concern. We don't want to be around these kinds of people. We shun them. They are out of our relationship. We are socially distancing ourselves from people who struggle with this kind of brokenness. (laughs) About the year 2000, there was a Harvard professor named Robert Putnam, and he wrote a book entitled Bowling Alone. The first sentence of his book I want to read to you. No one is left from the Glen Valley, Pennsylvania Bridge Club who can tell us precisely when or why the group ever broke up. Even though its 40-odd members were playing regularly since 1990. He goes on and talks more about some of these organizations that you might even be familiar with. The VFW post-2378 in a blue-collar neighborhood of Chicago had to close its doors because they just didn't have members anymore. Folks just weren't interested in being a part of the VFW. There was another group called the Charity League of Dallas, an organization of beautiful Texas Southern ladies who got together every week to sew and to knit and to visit Their membership got to the point where they had to disband, having met together for 57 years. Even in Tewksbury Memorial High School, which is just outside of the city of Boston, they had to put an end to their marching band because one year, only four students registered to be in the band. Putnam mourns this trend, and he identifies in his book this concept called social capital. Social capital is the fabric, the the relationships that keep us connected, that keep us strong, that, that keep us all pulling in the same direction. He warns us against self imposed social isolation. Well, as you can imagine, the book didn't hit the top 100 sales, and Most folks didn't really pay much attention to it, but here we are. Scholars like Putnam, writing to us over a decade ago, two decades ago, telling us about the negative impact of social isolation, the negative impacts of social distancing. You know what? We no longer know the names of our neighbors. We no longer attend our neighborhood church, We've stopped shopping at our neighborhood stores. There's really no concept anymore of the town doctor, of the local pastor, the friendly mechanic, um, the handyman that everyone in the community relies on to help them with their life. We might get nostalgic thinking about those things, if not from our childhood, from the childhoods of our parents. And we might say to ourselves, I wish things were the way they were in the olden days. And here we are, in a moment of enforced social distancing, maintaining at least six feet between each of us, encouraged no longer to gather in groups more than ten people. (laughs) 
And yet, John chapter 9 reminds us that just because something happened decades ago or centuries ago or even 2,000 years ago doesn't mean that we humans were any better then than we are now. Our needs are exactly the same. So here's this blind man in John chapter 9, sitting in his perpetual darkness. When Jesus' disciples ask a question that refuses to consider any other expectation but the one they already have in their mind, their expectation is he's blind, he must have done something wrong, or at best, his parents did something wrong. And Jesus breaks that expectation. He says, this man's blindness has nothing to do with anything he did, nothing to do with what his parents did, or the community or the culture did. The reason he's blind is so that the world can see God's work, that the world might see the light that Jesus Christ brings. You know, we human beings have expectations, don't we? The blind will always be blind, we think. The broken will never know healing. The plague will never pass. It is in this darkness, it's in this blindness that we all sit today. And we're asking ourselves this question. Will this virus ever end? In the midst of asking that question, we're asking ourselves some other questions. What is it I'm missing today? What is it that I'm hungry for today? What is it that I used to be able to do without worrying about it, but today I can't? What does it mean to return to normal life? And when will it happen? What are you expecting today, tomorrow, in the next eight weeks, in the next year? Now listen. It's in the darkness of this kind of expectation where we can begin to lose hope. To sink deeper into fear and depression. To find ourselves distracted and assume that our blindness will never end. But we're Christians. We're followers of Jesus Christ who is the light of the world. We see beyond our circumstances. We're not blind. As a matter of fact, we sing it when we sing that old hymn written by a fellow named John Newton. I once was blind, but now I see. Written in 1772, John Newton was a former uh, captain of a slave ship. And then he became a pastor. And it was this story in John chapter 9 that influenced those words he wrote in that great hymn, Amazing Grace. Well, this story in John 9 was back in the good old days, folks will say to us. The blind man is healed by Jesus, and it's not just a miracle, it's a sign of the one who has come into the world. This social outcast, this blind man, will no longer suffer in his being a social outcast, right? His neighbors see that he's no longer blind, and though their eyes work, the eyes of their hearts are still covered by their expectations of darkness. This is impossible that he has his sight back. How can this be? How is it that you see now? They asked. 
And the man who was formerly blind says that a man named Jesus rubbed some mud in his eyes. Now that's counterintuitive, rubbing mud in your eyes, reminding us of the very beginning of time when God took the soil of the earth and traced the image of humanity out of it and blew life into us. Isn't it frustrating when even the neighbors of this man can't get what happened to them? They can't bear it. They don't like not having their expectations fulfilled. This man was once isolated because of his blindness. And now, this man's going to find himself isolated because he can see. (laughs) That's just not fair. In verse 13 of John chapter 9, if you look at that with me, the Pharisees hear of this sign. And they, knowing that this miracle occurred on the Sabbath, have their own expectations. You might remember in previous messages, we've talked about how the Pharisees were so intent uh, that folks follow the law that they added a bunch of other laws called the Pharisaic laws to help folks follow these laws. And there was one law that they had written, that they had added to God's invitation to rest on the Sabbath that prohibited people from kneading dough, taking flour and water and putting it together. And even though Jesus didn't technically use dough and water, they used the charge of him taking mud and water and accused him of violating their laws. How can a person from God break the law. That's not how life works. Instead of celebrating with this man, who was brought back into the community, instead of celebrating with this fellow who was blind, who who had been suffering under the sentence of sinner, and now has the opportunity to come back into the community with a new life, they take this guy and they grill him. How did this happen? He tells the story again, but they can't see. (laughs) The great irony, isn't it? The blind man sees, but they're the ones who are blind. So the Pharisees call his parents in verse 18, if you look there with me, and they ask the parents, was he really blind since birth? And in verse 20, his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. Now, this is astonishing. Why is it astonishing? Well, we see in verse 22. You think about this with your own parents or with your own children. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. His parents were afraid of the sentence of social isolation. They were afraid of being socially distanced from their friends, so much so that they threw their own son under a bus. The Pharisees, having heard this, call the man back. And this time, our precocious blind man who now sees brings a little bit of humor with him. 
they grill him again. How could this be? How is it that you can see this is just not possible? And the man says, look, I don't know who this Jesus is. I just know that I was once blind, and now I see. And the Pharisees, angered now at this revelation, accuse him of being a disciple. (laughs) And the man says to these Pharisees, maybe you want to be his disciples too. You've got to be careful with these kinds of conversations. Look at verse 34. It's the hardest verse in the whole chapter. The Pharisees say to this man, who has been struggling to enjoy his new lease on life, and they say to him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And then the text says, and they cast him out. When Professor Putnam wrote his book, he warned us of the ills of social isolation. He warned us about the loss of social capital. The blind man who now sees probably sat in darkness before he was healed and dreamt of the possibilities of what life might be like if he was able to see. He probably thought about what it might be like to live not branded as a sinner. How he could enjoy the community, how he could be welcomed, how he could be loved. And then when his prayers are answered, when he's healed, when he's forgiven, when he can see, when he can see so clearly, he sees not the light of the sun or the light of the lamp. He sees the darkness of human beings who refuse to allow Christ to break their expectations. In this darkness, he's not welcomed. In this darkness, he is isolated yet again. Now I know for some of you this has been a painful two weeks. The experts tell us that this could go on for several more weeks. Some have even suggested months, and a recent federal report say that this could go on for 18 months. The first plague, when it hit Europe in the 14th century, lasted four years. Four more great pandemics would hit Western civilization after that, and the plague would pop up again and again for the next 200 years. I don't know about you, I'll take 18 months over four years any day of the week. Friends of ours in our own neighborhood where we live have joked with us that for them, other than not being able to go shopping when they want or being able to go to the office, life hasn't changed much. That sort of hit me. (laughs) That the folks in my own neighborhood are so socially isolated already that this social isolation isn't that big of a deal to them. Probably the only thing is they just didn't realize how isolated they were before. Now that's sobering. For some of us, we have been deprived of gathering with our church family, our friends, our small groups, our Bible studies. And here at South Sub, we're making plans to try to restore uh, to a new normalcy 
our life together using technology like this today. Looking at ways to meet online in video conferencing, social media, our website. It won't be the same, but for me, what has been most enlightening is that for many in my own neighborhood, like this blind man, life hasn't really changed all that much. They are still lonely. They are still isolated. And like that blind man who now sees, the only thing different is that they now see clearly their isolation, which is even more crushing. This, my friend, is an opportunity. It's not a plague. It is an awakening. It is not a sentence of depression. It is our chance to see clearly things that we once took for granted. Expectations that we carelessly accepted as a part of our life before. Refusing to see how isolated we were as a people before. As a nation. As a culture. As a world. We depended on our supply chains from China. But we never thought about the person in the factory. We depended on the truck drivers who delivered our material goods and future purchases, but we never thought much about the working poor who spent the early dawn hours stocking the shelves while we slept expectantly of our normal day. We woke up and wanted our coffee, our eggs, our toilet paper, all to be available when we wanted them. We saw our nameless neighbor leave for work every morning and never wondered if his children were well. Never wondered whether her husband was faithful, if his mother was sick and dying. We saw the cop, the firefighter, and never gave thanks that they left their family at home in order to be available when we needed them. We never thought about their spouses praying that they'd come home after their shift, after their watch, after their patrol. Maybe the season of social isolation has the potential to be a gift and not a curse. To open our eyes. To heal us of our blindness. And when this pestilence is ended, when our scientists discover a cure, and that will happen, the decision will be ours. Will we go back to our darkened expectations? Will we cast out those who have been healed? Will we revel in our material consumption? Or will we be healed? Back in John chapter 9, Jesus came to that man who had been cast out yet again. <laughs> but this time, he was cast out because he was well, not because he was sick. Look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him. And like he said to the woman at the well, like he has said 
to so many of us, he says to this man, it is he who is speaking to you that is the Son of Man. He then tells the Pharisees that the judgment has come to the world. Now, some preachers are saying that this virus is the judgment. I disagree. This virus is a gift. For it shows us our blindness. The judgment that is being received is not the sickness. The judgment will be, when we come through this, we haven't learned anything. The judgment will be that after all this is over, we'll go back to the way things were. With our short-sighted expectations, without caring about our neighbor, without seeing that we are a part of the human race. That's the judgment. May God help us, for we cannot help ourselves. Take hope. This virus will end. But beware. Our human inclination toward isolation, arrogance, and darkness, that, my brothers and sisters, is an all-too-greater threat and one that can only be conquered through the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we pray that you would extend healing to the world, and not just a healing of this virus, this plague, this pestilence, but the healing of the darkness. Remove the coverings from our eyes so that we might see. So that we might see our neighbor. So that we might see other human beings that you have created and loved so much that you gave your only son for their redemption. Father, renew our hearts in the midst of this plague that we might bask in the light of the world when your mercy has been poured out to completion and we stand yet again side by side as a part of your creation. Give to those who are joining us this day the hope, the comfort, and the victory of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.